Hello, everybody. Welcome to our homecoming post show. It's John Pollock, but there is news coming that is ahead of the Impact pay-per-view. So we will be joined by Nate Milton for a full rundown of that event. But joining us off the top, you know his voice from Post Puro Resu. He joins me each and every month and has been kind enough to join me off the top. He is WH Park. How are you doing, WH? I'm pretty good, John. Thanks for having me on. We have a lot to discuss off the top. Uh, this was all breaking on Sunday night and trying to uh, reach out and, and get more news about this to try and confirm some things. So everything is uh, kind of in motion, as we say. Uh, let's start off with Kenny Omega. Uh, Tokyo Sports put out a story on Sunday uh, with quotes attributed to Kenny Omega indicating that he is leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling when his contract is up at the end of January and citing his likely destinations as the WWE and All Elite Wrestling. First of all, uh, your immediate reaction to the story, and then we can get into kind of how it was handled at New Japan's press conference, which they were uh, conducting like within an hour of this story dropping. Well, at, at first, I just took it at face value that, okay, he's leaving. But then I was asking some people, and they were pointing out a WH, listen, like this is something Kenny's done before, I think right after the Okada loss about two years ago. And then Tokyo Sports is well known for, you know, running angles for themselves, for other wrestlers to like kind of pump up their own, uh, you know, sales of their newspaper. So um, we'll see. I'm, I'm not now I'm not so sure if it's, you know, if it's not being announced by New Japan themselves, like I kind of think it's up in the air. Yeah, like we do know his deal is up at the end. We do know the WWE has definitely had interest in, in Kenny Omega. I don't think that that is, uh, that is a secret. And we know that all elite wrestling would love to have him. There's I, like, I certainly cannot confirm that he's done, that he's leaving. Um, we're going based off of what the Tokyo sports interview is, which I, I think people naturally you proceed with caution here. I think that there's several scenarios that we can discuss here. One is obviously WWE, which would be an enormous offer. He would be taking to go there. The other is if he ends up going to All Elite Wrestling, we don't know what the relationship is going to be like between All Elite Wrestling and New Japan that Kenny Omega could dedicate himself to All Elite Wrestling and still be able to take dates with New Japan Pro Wrestling without being exclusive to them. That's that's certainly a possibility. I, I don't think that these things are even confirmed at this point because I, I think all of this is in play at the moment and – for the time being, Kenny Omega is under contract until the end of this month. So it is not as though he can just sign somewhere. I mean, he is part of New Japan Pro Wrestling at this moment. Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure they're having talks with him right now, along with WWE and AEW. Um, I, I'm sure this past weekend, not just all the wrestling and Wrestle Kingdom happening, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff going on that involved a lot of talent and like a lot of people negotiating with the talent. Now, in terms of the, the new Japan press conference that was held, uh, this is where they, they made several announcements, including a talent departure in Kushida. Um, Tanahashi was uh, pretty vague about Kenny Omega and just alluding to what his future may or may not be, but no departure was announced by new Japan at this press conference. Uh, I guess kind of uh, give us kind of your, your updated thoughts after you hear that the New Japan press conference, they they are not announcing uh, he is leaving the company, um, which 
could be uh, a strategy. They may, in their mind, believe that they can still uh, resolve something with Kenny Omega or that this is something that is ultimately not something that they want to I guess, I guess there's many ways you, you can read that. It's it's really going down the road of speculation at this point. Yeah, I'm going to err on the side of caution and think that they're still negotiating with him. I think if they were they were you know confident that he was done, they would announce it at this press conference with gathering all the media that's already there for the you know Kashida announcement and everything else. So I think they're probably still negotiating with him. Mm-hmm. They have released all of the cards for New Beginning. He's not part of any of those shows. Uh, but as you said, that did happen in 2016 as well. And then he returned shortly afterward. But I, I think that you would be, you know, I, I think in professional wrestling, especially when it when it comes to certain stories like this, there's always the, the tendency to be, be cautious because you just don't know how things are going to work out. But I would say on the other side, like, there is certainly a very legitimate possibility that he could be leaving. I think that we can oh, I, certainly look at this as that if six months from now he is in WWE or he is with All Elite Wrestling, that that is a very po- possible scenario to the end of all this. I would not be surprised if he ends up in another company. I'm, I'm leaning more towards uh, AEW because of the connection with Cody and the Young Bucks. Uh, but again, like if you know the, the rumored number for the contract that WWE is offering him, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up there as well. It's, it's a very interesting time to be a wrestling fan right now, you know? Have you seen any other outlets in Japan uh, picking up on this? Um, I know this is kind of just, just happening over the, the past couple of hours. As, what, what kind of response, if any, have you seen? Not, not much, to be honest with you. Like, I think things will start breaking like probably in the evening. Like it's kind of a more traditional news cycle, you know, here in Japan. So I, I, if, it, if there's other media outlets like other newspapers or publications going to talk about this or, or websites, I think you'll see that later on. I have a lot of friends who, who you know, like monitor those, monitor, those, monitor those things. So if I get news, I'll send you a message or, you know, I'll put out a tweet or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a huge story to to be monitoring. Kenny Omega, he's 35 years old. So that becomes very interesting. Um you know, what What are his wants? And they may be very different than when he was 30 years old, than when he was 33 years old. Uh, when you're looking at sci- uh, where do I want to be for the next five plus years of my career? Do I want to do, – do I look at where I'm at physically and that there's this enormous figure on the table in front of me for WWE that this is the time to – reward myself for all the the work I've put into this industry? Is it something that I want to be as creatively fulfilled as possible? And I want to be with my friends and I want to be able to build something that's going to outlive my own career um, that he could be viewing all elite wrestling. Like it's really, you have to get into his head of what, what are his wants and someone's desires in their life. They can change from year to year. What becomes most important to you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, People who out there who might think, oh, he loves Japan. He loves living in Japan. He'll never leave Japan. That That's not a guarantee. Like, I've been here for a long time. I don't think I'm going to stay here forever. But I've known lots of people when they first come to Japan, they're going to go, oh, I love Japan. I'm going to stay here forever. But, you know, over time, wants and needs change. Like, feelings about where you live change. And, you know, other offers come in. So don't anybody think that because how much he loves Japan that he's going to stay in New Japan 
for that reason, that's not a guarantee. I, I wouldn't even think of that as a factor. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work on this story. It's, you know, obviously coming down here on a late on a Sunday night. Uh, I would not ex- people expecting anything on Tuesday at this press conference. I mean, he is under a contract, so it's not like they can really uh, announce a signing uh, of this guy, uh, nor would I, he's contractually not able to show up at the Royal Rumble. So those are things that I think people are naturally going to be assuming, uh, but I, I wouldn't put too much stock into those happening unless there is some element to this entire deal that is is not known. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like he's probably going to do some outside interest stuff. Like he's heavily involved in the video game industry. So maybe, you know, the time he's away from New Japan, if he's resigning with them and he's not on an upcoming tourist that they'll just he'll just do some video game stuff. And then when it's appropriate, come back to there or when he's able to like past uh, the end of this month, he can announce that I'm joining this company or I'm joining that company. If. If we're looking at um, a scenario where Kenny Omega might be out of the picture, do you does that change your thoughts at all for what they've announced for Osaka with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Jay White um, in terms of if they had one direction and this may cause a, a decision that it's time to go all the way? If we are looking at a 2019 and Kenny Omega is removed from the picture, does that expedite plans for Jay White? Would you have seen a scenario where maybe they were already going with Jay White uh, to go all the way? Um, does that? What are your thoughts now that that match has been announced for February 11th? I, I think the big card to look at is the MSG card. Sure. And then what they want to do for the G1. Like so, I don't think Jay White's a big enough name to headline MSG. Um, I think you either keep you got to keep Tanahashi the champion, and he either defends against uh, Okada. The first time on U.S. soil, which I think would be a huge, um, not a draw because it's already sold out, but like uh, it would meet the expectations everyone has. Or he does the match with Chris Jericho, which would also like exceed or meet people's demands. Uh, match of that show would be. Um, Jay White is so young and Jay White, I think, finally, in my eyes, at least, like established himself as, OK, He's made it now. He's on his path to reaching the same level Kenny did, and um, I don't. I don't think you need to, you know, uh, have him win the title right away. I don't. I don't think it hurts his momentum. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to to protect him if he does lose. You know, I, I I just wouldn't do it right now. Like I think the story is, you know, the main story is Okada, Tanahashi, uh, and Naito with maybe Jericho mixed in there if he's still uh, contracted with New Japan for the upcoming year. Let's move on to uh, Kushida. They held a press conference on, well, Sunday night, our time, uh, Monday afternoon in Japan. And yes, Kushida will be leaving the company at the end of January. This is not a stunning um, development, given the way that uh, reports had been out, that the WWE had showcased interest, and the way he was uh, booked over Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash, that that closing scene where Will Ospreay kind of just gave him that fist bump and Kushida was not involved in any angle moving forward, it certainly did feel like a, a wrap-up. I was not stunned by this, but seeing that he is leaving, which they have not said where he is going, just overseas to North America, I think most can read between the lines there of where they anticipate it, him showing up. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised either. His Russell Kingdom match felt really like a big you know, putting over of Ishimori 
And then the the six men on New Year's Dash. Yeah, it was very telling at the end with Osprey, like you're saying. Uh, I feel he could have gone to heavyweight or done an open weight thing and like being pushed against heavyweights. I think you've said the same thing. Obviously, the company doesn't because I don't think he would be going unless he was going to get an opportunity to get out of the junior heavyweight division. Um, so I, I think he's probably going to WWE. I don't have any hope for him having any success there. Just looking at, you know, like outside of Nakamura and Asuka, they don't do anything with uh, people on the main roster who are, you know, from Japan. And even Nakamura is uh, questionable. Um, I see him being more like an Akira Tozawa or Hideo Itami. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe the most telling quote from Kushida at this press conference, and you can catch all of this on Chris Charlton's timeline at Reason JP. Kushida stated, if there was anything left for me to achieve and do, I wouldn't be leaving. Yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of like, like Kenny's like passive aggressive comments about the company. This is kind of Kushida's kind of passive aggressive way saying, you're not going to do anything with me. You're not going to let me get out of this, you know, this niche that you placed me in with the junior heavyweight division. So I have no choice but to go. And then wrapping up things, uh, they did announce uh, it will be Hiroshi Tanahashi, Jay White in Osaka at New Beginning for the title. And then the second night in Sapporo will feature the Tetsuya Naito Taichi match for the Intercontinental title. Uh, so those are the matches coming up. As we mentioned, Kota Bushi is off the upcoming tour due to the concussion. And Takeshi Azuka will be retiring in February. Quite a lot of news to unpack here, WH. Yeah, it's, it's quite. there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the Azuka retirement doesn't surprise me. I think he's been, you know, kind of done for a while. Like, especially since he became this heel character, uh, changing from like the really straight laced wrestler that he was for many, many years. And then he, you know, turned on, I think it was Tenzan. And then he joined, uh, Great Bash Heel, then later Chaos, and then now in Suzuki Gun. Um, he, he's just a, you know, comedy character now. And like, I don't think he, could ever live up to like what he was before. I imagine that he's just like tired of going out there and just, you know, okay, it's time to retire the, the, the iron, the iron mitten, the mask, the biting. I, I'm, I'm not sad to see it go, to be honest. I just think I thought it took up space on the roster and took up sp- space that could go to other people on the cards, but he's had a great career. Like, you know, if we can talk about it on a, on a future show about his career, but yes, it's uh yeah, it is what it is. Well, uh, I wanted to start the show off with the the top news, which was everything that was coming out of Japan. A uh, big thank you, WH, for uh, jumping on with me uh, just here at the last minute. Definitely want to get your thoughts and reaction to all of this. We will be continuing to monitor all of these stories at postwrestling.com. You can follow WH Park at WH Park 9, and you can hear them each month with myself here at postwrestling.com. WH, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, John. And now on to our review of Impact Wrestling's homecoming pay-per-view as we are joined by Nate Milton. What a disaster! Look at these idiots! Josh Cage had it beat, I believe that! 100%! Brian Cage! Brian Cage! Look now, he's going to go for it! The crowd is asking for it, Josh! Cage is going to win this match in the world to... Cage got him up. Cage has teetering back and forth. Oh, Cage is down. Johnny Impact retains. Did he get him? Did he get him? Did he? He got. Oh, 
So from WH Park, we move on and welcome Nate Milton to the show in the eye of the storm, the chaotic nature that is professional wrestling on this Sunday night. Nate, welcome to the show. It's our homecoming. I, I, I thought it was our homecoming, John. I mean, I I went and got this nice tuxedo. I went and rented uh, the finest uh, economy sedan. Uh, bought you some flowers and, and some chocolate and uh, some coffee with a sleeve, and I showed up, and, and WH was coming out of your apartment. So I, I don't know what to think now, John. I found another date. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fine choice, but, but you know, I thought we had something here. You know, at the last minute, there, there was some big news that came out. So <laughs> uh, it's great to feel wanted, uh, and it's great to have you here, Nate. It's always uh, – it's always great to do these shows with you. We are going to get to the Impact pay-per-view and go through uh, what was a very interesting show from Impact Wrestling, but uh, we don't want to bury the lead here. Lots of news just uh, coming our way during the final hour of the pay-per-view from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, as we discussed with WH, Kenny Omega speaking to Tokyo Sports, indicating he will be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling once his contract expires at the end of the month, citing WWE or all Elite Wrestling as his likely destinations. Then at the New Japan press conference, it's announced Kushida will also be leaving at the end of the month to go wrestle overseas in North America without specifically stating WWE or a promotion. I guess uh, some of your thoughts uh, coming out uh, from all of this, uh, as well the fact that uh, Kenny Omega, he is still technically under contract until the end of this month. So it would be premature for anyone to assume he has signed anywhere because he can't sign until this contract expires. Right. You know, obviously this is big news. Kenny Omega, one of the most recognizable stars uh, in the business, not under the WWE umbrella. And this is something that took the attention of not just wrestling fans, but folks in the business as soon as this news started breaking on Twitter tonight. And it's funny because, you know, I'm following the matches on, on homecoming and, you know, I've got it on the, on the big screen and I'm watching and all of a sudden I see Twitter just start to light up. And I'm like, I noticed LAX match is good, but damn, I didn't know it was that, that good that everybody's talking about it. And then I'm like, okay, they talking about Omega. They talking about Kushida. It's very interesting, John, especially the timing. Because as you and Wade talked about, one of the big things to kick off the year was that announcement about All Elite. And to me, that seems to be a tailor-made landing place for Kenny. Um, obviously, you know, you could probably make a lot more money uh, signing with the WWE. But if this is somebody who is not motivated by money or not motivated by fame, and he's motivated instead by what makes him happy and, and being an artist, so to speak, then I think that's a great landing spot for him if, if he uh, indeed wants to go elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that if you're looking at two options, you have you have two incredible offers of where you can take yourself. Like Kenny Omega was not going to end up um, in a bad spot here, whether it's financially or creatively. And I think that's what most people are going to see as the biggest difference here. At All Elite Wrestling, you would assume that he is going to have enormous creative freedom to present professional wrestling in, in his vision and not have any restrictions. And in WWE, you can't assume that at all. Um, mm. But they they have an incredible amount they can, they can offer him. And I, I think this is going to add a lot of interest to this press conference on Tuesday. Not to state – they really can't do much because, he, again, he's under contract till the end of the month. But that is going to be – 
uh, a big shadow over that press conference on Tuesday is looking for any hints of what is Kenny's decision going to be. Uh, this is going to be pro wrestling's version of the decision. LeBron's <laughs> ill-fated uh, ESPN special. Uh, so now I just need to hear him say I'm taking my talents to Jacksonville. And then that that would make things go full circle. But yeah, to me, this this is a great place to be if you are Kenny Omega. Because you can't make a wrong choice. You know, I, I have the opinion that All Elite is probably the writer choice, uh, uh, to use an incorrect word, for his career. But there's no wrong choice here. There's no bad option. I think the intriguing thing, though, with AEW is, you know, in New Japan, he's one of the faces. In WWE, if he's lucky and they uh, promote him properly and book him correctly, he can be one of the faces. In All Elite Wrestling, he is the face, even more so than Cody of the Bucks. I think if he were to go there, he becomes the focal point of that company, and it'd be intriguing to see what type of things Kenny and those guys could come up with if that's the route that he wants to take. Now, if you explore the path of the WWE for Kenny Omega, he is not going there for a bargain. They are going to be spending a lot of money to bring him in, and do you see that favoring Kenny Omega where they have to justify this contract and he will be a top-line player from the get-go? Or do you see it as something like a Bill Goldberg, who when he came to the WWE, he wasn't coming in cheap either. And we saw how that year went. He was <laughs> he was pushed as a main event talent, but not always protected as a main event talent. And it's like it's a crapshoot in the WWE. You just don't know. Many people saw AJ Styles as a big risk when he went to the WWE. It's turned out pretty well, probably as as positive as you could imagine for AJ Styles, who is a main event player, is making tremendous money, seems very happy, is having great matches. It's hard to look at the last three years of AJ Styles that it hasn't been the best case scenario for him going to the WWE. I got to admit, I was wrong about AJ Styles because I had very little faith that they were going to do right by him as, as a performer and as a character. But they've done everything almost perfect with this guy since coming into the company you know a pitbull moniker aside <laughs> but when it comes to kenny you know it's going to be interesting if that's the route he does choose to go with the wwe because for every aj styles there's a Sami Zayn. for every aj styles there's an apollo cruz for every aj styles hell there's a bobby lashley somebody who doesn't exactly fit that mold but you should be printing money if you got Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar under contract, but they found a way to screw that guy up. And so I think that's something Kenny has to be wary of. Also, what brand do you go to? Because I think if you go to SmackDown, particularly with the Fox deal looming, uh, excuse me, the Fox debut looming, that's a more enticing, intriguing target than going to Raw where you might not be in the best hands, creatively speaking. And I guess just to be fair to look at the other side of the coin, one thing that you you would think would be something that they could offer is not just coming here and being part of their vision, but having some kind of ownership stake in this company mm -hmm. that if you're looking long term is something that could ultimately be enormous that you're here on the ground floor. You have faith in your friends that we have a product that can reach a mass audience worldwide and I'm not looking for the, the three year game of what I can make. I'm looking for 15 years and beyond. And you're with your friends. You know that you're going to have that that creativity outlet. I mean, it's uh, it's certainly like these are two stark contrasts to one another, but both can represent um, very lucrative returns if you're Kenny Omega. Mm. 
you know, not to dispute the logic of noted American uh, poet Scott Hall, who once said, it ain't show uh, friends, it's show business. I think that uh, going to AEW is a place where business and friendship can coexist. And I think if those guys have their heads on straight, they've obviously got a, a, a good deal of capital behind them uh, with cons. This man, this this thing could work. It's it's got buzz. It's got the attention of the industry, the attention of the the fans out there. They are in a position where if this thing goes correctly, they could be the clear cut number two company in North America. You know, within a year. So that's the the Kenny Omega front, and again, that is what he has spoken to Tokyo Sports. You know, I, I know that there's going to be people that are going to be looking at this. Like, is this some kind of Kenny Omega uh, angle? They seem to be very coy about the Kenny Omega stuff at the press conference, whereas they just moved on to the new beginning cards and Kushida's status. Um, but that is from him. And Kushida, I think most are expecting him to land in the WWE. And, you know, he's 36 years old. He stated that, you know, if he felt that he had anything left to do here in New Japan, he he would not be leaving. I have said that I thought him transitioning to the heavyweight division would be something I would like to see, but that was not occurring. And I think he, he's much less of a sure thing in the WWE system. Um, if he's going to be earmarked for 205 Live, if he is going to spend a year in NXT, I think he's very much going with the same mindset of Shinsuke Nakamura, that he's always thought, what if, and it's nearing you know the latter stages of my career, now's the time to do this. And I don't fault him at all for that. I think that if you are somebody that has the opportunity to go to the WWE and they're going to pay you uh, more than you've been paid by your previous previous employer, go out and get those checks. Go out and get those dollars while they're there to be made on the table. It's a different situation from Kenny's because I think Kenny is at a point where he has, I don't want to go as far as to say carte blanche, John, but he can kind of name his own terms when it comes to what he wants to do with his next step. Whereas a guy like Kushida, he's going to have far less creative direction and creative control, particularly going to the, uh, a company like the WWE where we've seen their track record uh, with Japanese stars, just to put it frankly and bluntly. But hey man, I can, I can bear a lot of indignities if there are a lot of zeros on that check. And so uh, um, you know, if, if he does go there, I think he'll fit in well, like he said on that 205, ri- uh, 205 live roster. And um, you know, I wish him the best. And just to wrap up on the, uh, the New Japan front, they have announced their cards. We will have them up on the main page, the full cards, but their new beginning shows, which are the next three big shows, the main events they have announced February 2nd will be headlined by Tanahashi and Okada teaming together against Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. That same card will feature Evil against Zack Sabre Jr. The following night, uh, second night in Sapporo is headlined by Tetsuya Naito Taichi for the Intercontinental title, and we'll also see Sonata and Evil defend the tag titles against Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki, as well as Bushi and and Shingo Takagi against El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru for the junior tag titles. The final new beginning show is in Osaka, February the 11th. That will be the Hiroshi Tanahashi J. White title match, plus Okada versus Fale, and Ryusuke Taguchi will challenge Taiji Ishimori for the junior heavyweight championship. And as we stated, Kushida and Omega are under contract until the end of the month, and Kushida will wrap up either at the Korkun Hall show at the end of January or I guess potentially he could do that L.A. card, which is January the 30th uh, before his deal expires 
on the 31st. So that is all of the New Japan news. I'm certain we will have more on this uh, in the next days uh, leading into this and probably Monday night on Rewind to Raw. But it is time now to chat about Impact's homecoming pay-per-view. And man, always lots to talk about when it comes to Impact. I feel whenever we do one of these shows, Nate, it is a time to catch up on the state of the company. Since we last spoke, they have another new home in the U.S. Another, they have many, many homecomings that they could attend uh, from past broadcasters. The latest being the Pursuit Channel, as they will be making that move this Friday night, moving to a new night of the week, staying in a 10 p.m. time slot. And as we learned on the broadcast, they are going to simulcast the show on Twitch uh, with the hope of getting up to 15,000 Twitch subscribers by March the 1st. Uh, Nate, first of all, do you have the Pursuit channel? And number two, if not, how is this going to affect your impact viewing? Uh, well, John, uh, full disclosure, I did go on a bit of an expedition. I did go on a bit of a pursuit of my own this afternoon uh, going through the cable log trying to find this channel, and I couldn't find it. So that's not to say that Pursuit is not available uh, through Cox Communications in this region of the country, but I couldn't find it. So if I am to watch this, it would be through Twitch, which in a way, like, I don't know how I feel about that, John. Like, you know, in a way, on the one hand, it feels regressive for this promotion to be th- streaming on Twitch. But on the other hand, it feels kind of progressive. Like, they're, they're, they're on the cusp of the future, even though we know their only reason they're on Twitch is because most of their audience doesn't get pursued. Uh, in terms of the move itself, I, I, I get it from a business sense um, If in that, you know, if you own the channel, then it's cheaper than dealing with a channel that you don't own in terms of putting your programming on. But why? Why are we moving nights and times again? Like, that doesn't make sense to me, John. If, if you're trying to keep an audience, like your audience is already, every time you move, your audience dwindles. And now you're not only moving networks, but you're moving nights. You're going on, you know, eventually you're going to be on after SmackDown on Friday nights. It, it's, it's not a good look, in my opinion. I just think no matter how you slice this, it's a big step back. Though The entire point of television is you want to attract the most amount of people so that you can entice them to spend money on your product. And if you're going to compromise how many people you can attract, that's got to be offset by such an incredible television deal that it's going to make up for the lost audience. If you're going from – let's say you were – on NBC in prime time, you weren't getting paid a penny, but your show was in front of 5 million people every Wednesday night. The hope would be, well, if we get a percentage of that to buy our pay-per-views, to go to live events, to buy our streaming services, we will make we will be able to make money off of this. But then you get a great offer to go on the Pursuit channel where you are not going to have 5 million people anymore. But you look at the numbers and say, well, Pursuit's going to pay us so much money. It's worth this lack of viewership we're going to have in comparison. This is – you're definitely losing viewers, and this is clearly not a gigantic money deal because if there was great unheard of money coming from Pursuit, they would have been on there a long time ago <laughs> because of the affiliation that they have with Anthem Sports. So I, I think that there is no way of spinning this as a positive, and I know that they have uh, you know, tried to attempt to discuss the, like, the demographics and whether this is a better fit. It's on a, a very hard to find network, and John, are you you are you are talking to their demographic uh, theoretically. Like I am somebody who has stuck with this company through thick and thin, more thin than thick. But 
I am the type of person that they should be catering to. And this, both on the network, both at the time, uh, the night switch, it, it just doesn't work. And, and particularly, again, I hate to keep bringing it up, but once SmackDown is a thing on Fox, and not to offend uh, you know, the, the multitudes of Canadian uh, friends and family we got listening, John, but the NFL was on a day. I watched playoff games on the NFL. Not once in the history of my NFL football watching have I ever got through watching a three-hour game and said, you know what I want to watch now? Two hours of CFL. How are the Argos doing? Oh, I've never done that because you don't want to go from the superior product to the inferior product, no offense, impact, in the same night. Like it, it's, I, I, I just don't get it. I, it I, again, I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think this is even worse than when they moved to Destination America, which I thought was their low point. In comparison, I mean, their viewership was in the 400 plus thousand viewers each week. I mean, Destination America was significantly higher if we're comparing this. And, and that was a big drop off from when we were seeing, you know, a million or so viewers every week on Spike, uh, even towards the end. So it's just you're reaching less people and you're reaching less potential consumers of the product at a time when. Audiences in North America are inundated with mm-hmm. WWE content and alternatives. So you have to be providing something. And I think as we get into the pay-per-view show, this is not a question of necessarily the, the content that is being presented. I, I think they have a fine product. It's just it's, – it's tougher than ever to gain traction in this marketplace. And when you're not easily visible, it's even tougher. And I, I wonder how much – attention impact is going to get if this is the extent of their u.s presence is the pursuit channel and twitch yeah at best right now you know you were fifth or sixth on the fans radar of of promotions and once all elite you know gets off the ground to me that's that's going to be a blessing and a curse for some of these other companies because they're going to take up all the oxygen in the room for the first couple of months when they're open. And so your ROHs are going to get less eyeballs. Your TNAs, excuse me, your impacts are going to get far less eyeballs. Uh, you know, so they've, this, this last year, John, kind of looking back now, redemption, the year since the redemption, that should have been their window to say, you know, this is a different company. We're, you know, we've, we've improved in ring. We've improved with our storytelling. Now we got to improve business wise and financially and how we can get this show in front of an audience that certainly has an appetite for different varieties of wrestling other than the WWE. They just haven't been able to do it. All right. Well, that being the state of TNA impact wrestling, let's get into this. They return to the Nashville fairgrounds, which is technically their second home because pay-per-view number one, was at the forgotten Von Braun Center in Huntsville, <laughs> Alabama. So this was our our second residence that we took up on Wednesday night pay-per-views. And I, I thought from the get-go, the audience was a positive on this show. They seemed very lively throughout. They seemed to enjoy a lot of the matches. Uh, I thought the crowd was a big plus. Yeah, really, really strong crowd, really good crowd. I was looking at some of the uh, videos Josh Matthews was posting before the event started, you know, where he was just kind of walking through the crowd and even just seeing the line of people walking into the uh, arena. I'm like, you know what? This, good, good for you, Impact. Like, they seem lively. They, they seem uh, enthusiastic. They might be liquored up. But, hey, as long as, you know, they're into the matches, that'll make for a good show. And they did not disappoint. I like the opening video package. They showcased a lot of their classic clips and every major name that 
that went through the fairgrounds, uh, even got a, a CM Punk appearance. And this was narrated by Johnny Impact. And then they transitioned into the current talent and their own stories uh, leading into this. And I would say maybe um, a bit of a missed opportunity was in the lead up to this, Nate, making this more of a kind of nostalgia-based show that served mm. multiple purposes in building up this homecoming, this return back to where you started. And it doubles over as promotion for their their entire tape library that's available on their app. And usually every week there's the GWN match of the week, but maybe that could have been tied in a bit more to the buildup. Like this is a, a celebration of our history and going through more of that because I did like what this video package focused upon. I agree. I could have used more nostalgia. I saw that uh, Wildcat Chris Harris was backstage. Like, bring Chris Harris out. Like, I don't know what James Storm is doing right now. Bring James Storm. Give him, give James Storm a call. You know, I don't know what some of these other guys uh, that have come through the doors of the promotion uh, are doing right now. But it would have been nice if we could have had a little bit more integration with the nostalgia uh, of, of Impact back, you know, maybe when it was at a – well, not when, but certainly uh, when it was a, a hotter company. Uh, but I did like that opening video. I, I thought it was very well done. Uh, the only thing missing for me, John, and you know that uh, this would have made it perfect, is if we replaced Johnny Impact with Barry Scott. Oh, okay. I was going to say, where are you going? Because I'm pretty sure I saw Monty Brown in there. Oh, yeah. Monty Brown, seeing Monty Brown, Monty Brown would have been great on this show. Elix Skipper would have been great on this show. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, BG James, but he's got a job, so he <laughs> he couldn't show up in this show, I don't think. But, yeah, Barry Scott. I needed the Barry Scott voice to kick this off tonight. What about Kip? Kip James mm. maybe uh, appeared. We had uh, Josh Matthews and I would assume a jet-lagged Don Callis on the call <laughs> who Friday was calling the Tokyo Dome and then uh, flew home, I guess, right after because he wasn't on the New Year Dash event on Saturday. But uh, a whirlwind week for one Don Callis. Hey, it's good work if you can get it. Opening match was the ultimate X for the vacant X Division title. Rich Swan, Ethan Page, Jake Crist, and Trey, without a last name, accompanied by Dez and Wentz. So it looks like we've had some uh, some name casualties here. Gone are Miguel, uh, Mund, <laughs> Xavier, and Zachary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got to say, you know, we were, we were talking about the product leading up to this, John. I have been pleasantly surprised by the Rascals. Like, I didn't expect a lot out of them. I really like these guys. The name change to me is just kind of stupid because uh, the gimmick's already silly. So I thought them actually having grown up last names kind of offset the silliness a little bit. Uh, but I, I do really like the Rascals. Yes. Um, so the match begins and we've got all four of them going to individual corners and they just immediately start climbing and everyone falls down. Uh, we had the audience just immediately reacting to the spots uh, page scaled the rope but instead of going for the title he dropped an elbow and then we saw jake chris do this as well and i thought there was I, I wasn't a fan of these two spots because it's it's almost like the the hockey player has a breakaway for the net and pauses to go deliver a body check <laughs> it's like the, the the title was right there and even the uh, don Callis brought this up that instead of going for the title there was no 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 restriction in front of them. Instead, they just did a elbow drop. This match, and, and I'll have I'll have more to say about it as we get deeper into it, John. But this match, while it, while I liked it, there was something just a bit off about it. Uh, and yeah, some of those things like that, like the logical 
idea of let me go for this offensive move instead of trying to actually win the damn match. But I will give Kyle's credit because I thought he did a good job tonight of, of covering up for things and bringing up some really good points on commentary. Match continues. Uh, Trey climbed the metal rig uh, that was set up in the corner and moonsaulted off of it to the floor. And then we had uh, Jake Christ who caught Swan with an enziguri from the floor and followed with a tombstone uh, and then grabbed him and put him by the entrance up the ramp to keep him away. But Swan made his return. Uh, each exchanged Ranas, but Swan landed on his feet and both him and Trey went for the titles. But Swan lifted his feet out to take the title at 14 minutes and three seconds. I like this match, but I don't love this match, John. <laughs> yeah. I, I I thought it was a good opener. You know, uh, the crowd was into it. Uh, you know, we had some crazy X Division spots, which harken back to the the Asylum days where, where this stuff kind of got started. But, you know, there, there were just some things here and there that just didn't click, just didn't make this a classic, but it didn't need to be. You know, it was the table setter, the play setter. I thought the right guy went over. Uh, I think Rich Swan. As your ex-division champ reinvigorates the division, gives us some star power. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the outcome of this. So from there, we went to Mackenzie Mitchell backstage, and she was joined by Brian Cage, who said that no one gave him an opportunity, so he created his own with option C, compared himself to LeBron James and Bo Jackson, and <laughs> went over all the sacrifices he's made for his family. What do you think about uh, Brian Cage, John? As a promo or as a performer? All around, all around. I, I think he does some spectacular things. I think he's somebody that obviously impact is, is all behind. Um, you know, he's overall somebody that I think is generally a, a good pickup. How do you feel about him? I, I really like him in ring. Like, I think as a big guy, he's got an impressive move set. He obviously looks like a million bucks. I just don't like the character, and he's... He's not a great promo, like nor should he be as as a dude that size. He shouldn't have to go out here and talk for, you know, five minutes. No, he should be uh, like he gets over in the ring. Like that's the like he, they keep calling him the Terminator. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't cutting promos the entire movie. You know, he was in there kicking ass. He'd say, you know, hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. And, and that was it. So I think, if you know, Cage should adopt some more of that that type of attitude because he is. Damn impressive in the ring, but but on the mic, it's just, eh, like, I didn't feel connected to him as the challenger. Uh, so we go to our second match of the night, Allie and Sue Young against Jordan Grace and Kira Hogan. And, you know, they, they have had a really wacky storyline ever since uh, Bound for Glory, which I thought was the low point of that show. <laughs> uh, I will say Allie is someone that she's very much into this character. You can see she is not just... Um, like she, she's putting everything into this character. Um, the odd woman out in this for me was uh, Jordan Grace, who's yep. kind of had her own thing going on and then was just plucked into this match where she didn't really fit and they had to find a way to just kind of eliminate her at the end of the match. So it was kind of an odd pairing, I thought, attaching her to this story. Yeah, I, I really like Jordan Grace. I think she's got a ton of potential. But this, I don't know if this was the spot I would have put her in because at the end of the match, by the time we get to the finish, she's pretty much inconsequential. So I think anybody could have filled that role. It didn't have to be Jordan. So uh, they, they had a very, you know, fine tag match here. Uh, Young and Allie got the advantage on Hogan, built up to Grace coming in. She stopped Young from uh, a dive, lifted her, and then Hogan came off the apron with a cross body as Young held her up for a vertical suplex. 
Hogan then hit a roll of the dice onto Alley, which was uh, a save was made by Young. Grace then lifted both Young and Alley for a combination slam and power bomb that got a big reaction. Young hit Grace with the red mist that took her out of the match, and Hogan was so concerned with Grace that she ended up taking a code breaker from Alley, who then took Sue Young's bloody glove, applied the mandible claw, and the referee ended the match eight minutes and fifty three seconds. Yeah, it was a solid match. Uh... I was happy to see a Hogan that didn't make me want to turn the channel, John. I was also happy that it was a bloody glove and not something else because we've had enough of that this week. But the story, the story behind this match, it, it hasn't grabbed me from day one. This is a match I think you could have put later in the card because there's a match later that I think really suffers from its placement. And I think that match would have been better here as the second match on the show. And this match would have been better there because it could afford to get a more subdued reaction, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I like the tag match overall. I thought it was fine. Um, not show-stealing or anything like that, but fine. And I think that Jordan Grace has been a great addition to the knockouts division. I think she's someone you could easily insert into that same mix, um, especially as we get into it, that Taya might be looking for a new challenger now that yeah. um, you, you could see Tessa spinning off with something with Gail Kim, that Jordan Grace makes the most sense to be elevated into that role next. And they, they somewhat protected her uh, during the finish here by being taken out with the mist. So maybe that can be something addressed on television, and then Grace gets onto the championship track. From there we go to Moose and Eddie Edwards. No, oh, no, we don't, John. No, no we, we don't. don't. No, we don't. There was plenty more to come here. <laughs> you, I, I, you know, you talk about how good a match it was. Like you left out the best part to me. Sorry, when I see undead bridesmaids and the word coffin, <laughs> I uh, somehow just skim over it. But yes, the undead bridesmaids appeared. They rolled out a coffin. And you won't believe this, Nate. There was somebody inside the coffin. Someone got inside the coffin. Despite all these undead bridesmaids, they did not check ahead of time. <laughs> and as it opened, the returning Rosemary emerged from the coffin, back from the dead, back from the uh, the the Neverworld that we saw at Bound for Glory. She comes in. She fights off all of the undead bridesmaids and threw Sue Young into all of them. They all went down like dominoes. And then she got into the ring, staring down uh, Allie who's looking frightened, and as Rosemary went to pat her on the head, Allie just rejected her, went to the floor, and ran off. So Rosemary uh, makes her return, and is going to get uh, injected into this story. Now this I like. You know, this, Rosemary to me is the one part, like, this story doesn't work without Rosemary. As good as Allie has been in portraying this this version of her character, as good as Sue Young is, as good as Kira Hogan has kind of been as the one sane woman in, in all of this craziness, this story doesn't really work without Rosemary kind of being the ground. Like, and it's weird to say, but she's kind of the grounding force of this because she's always been this way. And so it was good to see her back. I liked the little interaction with, uh, with the alley. Uh, and I actually have more hope now for this story than I did before. Yeah. Um, so good to have Rosemary back and yeah, makes the most sense to involve her here. Where do you see Kira Hogan going from here? Is she, does she stay in, involved in this story w with Allie or does Rosemary now become the person to be tied with, with Allie and bringing her back from the dark side? I think she's still tied in cause I think we're, we're going to go to a tag match next. So I think you keep her in here. Uh, eventually I I'd like to see Kira put into that mix with, with Jordan Grace and, and with, uh, uh, Taya and with uh, Tessa, because I think, you know, 
that, those are four really good, really good uh, performers right there. And so, yeah, I think she'll stick around in this story for a while, but I don't want to see her stuck here. Moose and Eddie Edwards was a Falls Count Anywhere match, and they just, from the get-go, Edwards jumps Moose as he's making his entrance, and they just brawl all over the floor. Crowd was very much behind Eddie, who was getting uh, powerbombed. He got twice he was powerbombed onto the edge of the apron before making a comeback. They fought into the crowd, uh, which was very dark. They eventually got them lit so that you could uh, actually see where they were fighting. And Edwards did a Pescado off the stairs on the balcony to the floor onto Moose. Uh, somewhere in all of this, Edwards got busted open. They brought in all these chairs into the ring. They're exchanging chops. And earlier in the, the match, Moose had set up this contraption where the guardrail was balanced between the ring and the steps on the floor. <laughs> and he took a back body drop onto this guardrail that looked frightening. Uh, Eddie then brought out his kendo stick, Kenny which Don Callis said may be the most dangerous Kenny in the wrestling business. <laughs> Maybe he was telegraphing uh, news that was to come about an hour or so later. Uh, he's attacking him. He goes to attack him with the kendo stick. When Alicia Edwards runs in, she takes the kendo stick, and instead she attacks Moose. The audience is chanting, she's hardcore. Eddie breaks the kendo stick over his head and then lands a DDT, pinning Moose at 13 minutes and 20 seconds. I could have done without some of the head strikes, but this was a pretty solid hardcore match, I thought. And a, an outing that these two needed because I was not into this story throughout the last couple of months with Eddie being committed. Um, I, I just thought he's gone off into the goofy, silly territory as the wild guy. And it was just, uh, I thought, a real departure from what you were doing with him during the Sammy Callahan feud that I thought had a lot more substance to it. So... I like the match uh, for for what they were trying to put together here. Yeah, and I'll give them credit, John, because a lot of times we talk about, you know, long-term storytelling and having continuity within your storylines. And like you just mentioned, this is something that the seeds for this match were planted, you know, nearly a year ago when we come off of that Sammy Callahan match. When we go into, you know, Eddie and Tommy Dreamer, then we get Moose challenging Aries. He, he fails to win the title, so he sides with Austin Aries and turns against Eddie Edwards. And that all leads us to this right here. And while there were points in the story, points in this journey that didn't quite click for me, didn't quite connect for me, I think they nailed the landing. I really enjoyed this match. I'm not the biggest fan of these hardcore matches, and I'll have more to say about that later. Uh, but I really dug this. I thought that they had great chemistry together. I think Moose, as much as I would have liked to have seen him win the title from Aries, I like this kind of cocky, weird character of Moose. And, you know, I, I like the involvement with uh, Alicia at the end. I thought that was a great way to kind of bring everything full circle because it was, you know, him hitting her with the kendo stick during that Callahan match that kind of forced him off the deep edge to begin with. So I liked how they brought it all around. Yeah, I, I thought this came off very well. Uh, and the audience enjoyed it as well. Uh, Sammy Callahan cut a promo on Willie Mack, stated that he should have listened to Rich Swan, And Matthews kept alluding to there's this unknown history between Sammy Callahan and Willie <laughs> Mack. So we don't know why they're fighting. Uh, this was also brought up during the match. I have no idea what this is. I watch Impact every week. I was not aware of this unknown history, so maybe I missed something. Uh, the only thing I saw was they had one backstage segment where, like, Rich Swan is like, you don't want to do this, man. You don't know those guys. Like, I know those guys, but Willie Mack never asked the logical question of, what do you know about those guys? 
So the, I mean, it's was, I guess are in do they have a past in Lucha Underground or is that Jeremiah Snake? Uh, mm. Does that not count? Is that a different person? These are the questions I have because <laughs> Lucha Underground is referenced in Impact Canon. They have done interpromotional shows together, such as yeah. WrestleMania weekend. So Lucha Underground as an entity exists in the world of Impact Wrestling, and therefore you would think that the character histories should exist in Impact. It's am a I different think, timeline. Am I thinking too it's, deep here, Nate. It's it's, it's like uh, the Flash. You know, you're in a different timeline. We we have the the uh, Lucha Underground timeline, the Impact timeline. Sometimes they cross, but for these characters, they are parallel. They are not crossing. So the match uh, is next here. Willie Mack, Sammy Callahan. Callahan attacks him with this running kick from the floor as Mack is caught uh, underneath the ring skirt. They go inside. Callahan chops back after spitting onto his hand. Mac finally comes back with a head kick and lands a standing moonsault. Uh, Willie Mac has a tremendous amount of charisma, and you see it so often that he is just able to elicit a babyface reaction from a crowd. And when they got behind his comeback, it's really something to watch. I think he is one of the more underrated, charismatic performers that uh, currently is on any kind of national stage in the U.S. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Willie Mac. I, I thought it was a great idea a great uh move for impact to bring him in uh he's somebody that shouldn't move the way he moves looking the way he looks but he's a great in-ring performer he like you said john he's got a ton of charisma you know he kind of reminds me if somebody went back in some type of lab and spliced the genes of flying brian pillman and the junkyard dog and let it incubate for however many years willie mack is 28 29 30 years you get willie mack yeah, definitely. I think that that's a yeah great comparison. I think that um, towards the end, I really like this sequence down the stretch where Callahan hits this Death Valley driver off the turnbuckle. Willie yes. Mack kicks out at one. Then he kills him with a lariat. Another kick out at one. And the audience is going nuts here for Willie Mack. And then finally, Callahan leaves him for dead with the pile driver. And now Mack is done. It's it's very much something that they do at times in New Japan or Ring of Honor where you do the one count and the crowd always pops for it. But it's the last gasp before they yeah. finally go down. And it's I think it did a lot here for Willie Mack, even in defeat. Um, I really like the, the closing sequence here. Ten minutes, 20 seconds. Sammy Callahan wins. This was a very good match, John. And it's funny because at this point after this match, I'm like, wow, we have not had a bad match on this show yet. Like I didn't. Like, I wasn't over the moon with the women's match, but it wasn't a bad match. Like, we were four matches in, not a bad match, and I really enjoyed the the Willie Mack Callahan match. Uh, I think, you know, I love Willie Mack, obviously, but you got to give Sammy Callahan credit because I think he is he is the perfect upper mid-card slash top heel for a company the size of Impact. Like, I don't think Sammy Callahan, this guy, really would work in a company as big as the WWE. Uh, but I think for impact, like he feels like a villain of, uh, you know, to go back to, uh, flash, like he feels like a villain that the flash would have trouble with, but you don't want to see that villain go up against Superman. Cause it's not going to be an even fight. And so I, I really enjoyed Callahan. I, I, I love OVE in this company and I want to see more of this. Cause I think the two of them had some really good chemistry. I, you know, we'll probably get Rich Swan involved cause he knows all the secrets here. Uh, but yeah, this, this was a fun match and might have been one of my favorite matches of the, of the night, John. 
Yeah, it, it turned out well. This was just thrown together in the last week. There wasn't a ton of buildup to this. And yeah, did, did, did well. And I thought uh, right placement of the match as well on this card. Uh, Mackenzie Mitchell spoke to Eli Drake, who had a blindfold on, took it off, and they were in the, <laughs> the garbage area of the fairgrounds where Abyss was born in TNA. And he insisted he was not scared of this match tonight because he possesses the monster balls. Yeah, not one of Eli Drake's best promos. I mean, I'll, I'll give the man credit for, like, the bird box shout-out. Like, yes. that that was kind of clever. But I've seen Eli do better promos. You know, this this wasn't one of them. The Monsters Ball match, uh, Abyss came down. Uh, there was a staple gun introduced early on, and Abyss got a hold of it, stapling Eli Drake in the chest and then tossing Drake <laughs> into the crowd. Uh, he hit Abyss low, ran an equipment box into him, they set up these two tables on the floor, and Abyss hit a belly-to-belly, clearing the first table, and Eli Drake crashed through the second one. This got enormous reaction. <sighs> this is where I was talking about earlier, John, where I was, what I was alluding to earlier in these hardcore matches. Like, yes, these are spectacular spots, and the crowd was certainly into it. So, you can, you know, you can argue that that's what matters. That's the bottom line. But I had a hard time getting into this, not only because... I'm not generally a fan of these, but because I don't want to see Abyss do these anymore. Uh, granted, this is like a one-off. We're not going to see him do this every week, hopefully. But I've had my fill of Abyss in these matches. And so, yes, while both guys worked really hard and there were some cool spots here and there, it was, it was hard for me to get into it. Yeah, it's... Did you feel that it was too much having both on this show? Because that was a criticism... Going into Slammiversary was that you had several matches that yeah. was very heavy on the violence. The counter to that was that you had a number of programs peaking for these big blow-off matches, and I think that they were able to pull that off at Slammiversary. Did you think that was the case with these two matches and being in close proximity to each other? Yeah, because to me, the story didn't warrant it. Mm-hmm. You know, the story did not merit this match you know I, I get it that it's at the asylum i get it that this is abyss but even on the tv it didn't feel like they made a big deal out of it and so you know they've had seg- they had segments with tommy dreamer you know and, and trying to get this across with uh eli being adverse to the hardcore lifestyle but i i just didn't feel connected to it and as somebody like like i said john i'm the demographic i'm somebody that's you know, watch this company virtually from day one. I know all the old guys. So I should have been emotionally invested in this, but I wasn't. Match continued. Uh, we had Abyss uh, bringing out thumbtacks, pouring them onto the canvas. Uh, Drake stopped the choke slam. So he picked up the tacks, threw them at Abyss, who ducked, and the referee took the tacks in the spot, in, in, in the face. Uh, I did not like this spot because no. <laughs> this referee was like temporarily affected. But within a minute, he was back to making the count. And I thought that that is not a spot that the referee should be able to recover from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, first of all, like, they're like yeah, let's, you're not going to throw something in my face like that. If I'm, if I'm a young man, Mr. Referee, who I, I, I don't know his name. That wasn't Johnny Bravo. Uh, yeah, it was, it was the, uh, the young-looking referee. I don't know. Yeah, a little, little, little junior referee. Um, if I'm junior referee, you're not just going to throw uh, stuff in my face. Uh, Eli Drake. But secondly, yeah, it does make those tacks look far less effective when you have the referee who is being tended to just all of a sudden pop up and, and deliver the two count really quick. 
Like he so, was selling it like he had lost a contact lens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just pops up and gives it to him. Like, come on, man. Like I, I could have done without that spot. Yeah, I didn't care for that one. Janice was brought out, the weapon, not the mother. And uh, Drake was able to avoid <laughs> it. And did you like that one? Uh, I, I saw I saw your tweet earlier, John. I thought it was uh, it was it was a great tweet that this is the last remnant, the 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 final piece of the Carter lineage yeah. that is connected to this company. Yeah. I mean, NXT has their own legacy piece, I guess, in EC3. So the card is still there. Well, well, one's over. Janice is not over. Uh, <laughs> EC3, we'll, we'll see once he gets to the main roster. Big spot is Eli Drake being chokeslammed onto the tax. He just yells out on the camera, holy shit. And Drake <laughs> then kicks out. He gets more tax, throws them into the face of Abyss, who then and then grabs a chair, knocking Abyss down. Then he went and grabbed zip ties, and I guess this was their own tribute to The Rock and Mankind's last man standing yes. match, which was 20 years ago this month, if you can believe that. And it took him an ungodly amount of time to fasten the wrists of Abyss, who had to just <laughs> hold them out there like he was under arrest and not to move. Uh, he just like held his arms out there for Drake to take forever to tie up his arms and then just annihilated him with chair shot after chair shot. Well, no, that's not the worst thing, John. It took forever for him to tie it, but immediately when he, after he hit that first chair shot, the zip tie came undone. Oh, so did it? I what did we do that for? <laughs> and then, yeah, and, well, oh, credit to Callis though, because Callis, like I said, he was on his feet. He was on the ball all night because he was like, "Abyss, just so strong anymore." Oh man, would have been tied up by those zip ties. He was able to break it off in just a second. Callis uh, is always very quick with those those saves. Uh, but then the most devastating weapon of all, the paddle of Eli Drake's was broken over Abyss's <laughs> head, and Eli Drake won 12 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, I compared this in my report to what they were trying to do with Randy Orton and Mick Foley in 2004, mm. where here you have the young guy, well, relatively younger guy in Eli Drake, uh, defeating the hardcore legend and doing a big spot to kind of gain him some credibility, uh, so I would figure that this is going to position Eli Drake uh, a bit higher. I was a bit surprised we didn't get Tommy Dreamer or Raven in this match. It seemed like the story called for some involvement of those two after they were so focused upon on TV. You know what I was most disappointed with, John? We didn't have Father Jim Mitchell. No. That's what I needed. Like, I needed, whether it was during the match or, or even a promo before the match, I needed Father Jim Mitchell on this show to to give the maybe that's what I was missing. Maybe that's why I wasn't emotionally connected because we didn't have the sinister minister involved. Yeah, I guess he's still tied up in uh, well, he's he's still in the never world, isn't he? From <laughs> from the last pay per view. I mean, we don't know his exact coordinates uh, these days. <laughs> but no, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't feeling this match, and it's nothing against uh, Abyss, who I have a ton of respect for. Uh, even though I think he shouldn't be doing these types of matches anymore, uh, and it's nothing against Eli Drake, who I think is being underutilized in the, in the company right now. But for whatever reason, it wasn't a match that I was into. Killer Cross was interviewed backstage. He said that Johnny Impact has to do whatever it takes to beat Brian Cage tonight. Everyone pays the toll. Uh, they showed uh, Survivor winner Nick Wilson and Davey Rickenbacker from the 37th season that also featured Johnny Impact. More <laughs> to come with them, I guess, in the main event. <laughs> I, I don't know who these guys are, and after tonight, I still don't know who these guys are, John Pollock. Well, it's uh, it's tough when you're getting to season 37, I guess, in the lineage of Survivor. 
Santana and Ortiz versus Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix for the Impact Tag Titles. Uh, this was when my night was thrown into chaos, so uh, I'm going <laughs> to do my best here over the next couple of matches here. Um, Conan did not come out with Santana or Ortiz, but we did know he was in Nashville and he would make his appearance later. They just exploded out of the gates. This was all action from the beginning. Ortiz landed this splash and then Pentagon jumped off his back, breaking the cover and then into a Canadian destroyer onto Santana. They did this huge sequence of kicks. So all four went down. The audience was going nuts for this match. Pentagon went for the package pile driver. Phoenix uh, spiked Santana with it. And then Ortiz made the save, tackling Phoenix on top. LAX hit the street sweeper onto Pentagon. This time Phoenix made the save and it ended with double, uh, a double team by LAX and pinning Phoenix following this reverse vertical suplex. Santana getting the win. Uh, this one went about 11 minutes as LAX retained the tag titles. Um, this match was just awesome. I thought match of the night. Yeah. And I believe it was Bound for Glory, John, the com.com Bound for Glory show where we talked about the match they had with the OGs and how that could have been the main event. Yeah, I thought this should have been the main event tonight. You could have argued it. I thought I thought it was the most anticipated match on the show. Yeah, definitely. And I, I have been very impressed with LAX. Like I was not that into these guys when they first brought the new version of LAX back uh, out. Uh but man, these guys are good and not just in the ring, but on the promos, like, you know, they had that great, uh, opening, uh, promo for bound for glory where they're like walking the streets of New York. And then, uh, leading up to this, they had another promo where they were out on the streets talking about fighting their family. And like, maybe these guys just need to be on the street all the time. Cause they, they have a vibe that is reminiscent and stay with me. Cause I know this might sound kind of crazy, but it reminds me of when new Jack used to cut those promos in ECW where there was just something different about it. And that's how I feel about LAX. And, and I'm a big fan of these two. Now I thought this was an excellent match. I knew it was going to be a good match, John. I didn't know it was going to be this good and this fast paced and this frenetic. Uh, I want to see more of it. Uh, it would not make me mad in the slightest. If I turn on Twitch this Friday and they're running this match back. Cause I, I would watch every second of it. Yeah, I mean, not not the worst idea to, you know, coming out of the pay-per-view, like how many people realistically saw this match, that that could be something, you know, a special encore presentation of this tag title match wouldn't be about, like, I thought this was just a tremendous, tremendous tag match. And, you know, as we go into 2019 and the, the arms race for talent, certainly at the top of many promotions list for most wanted, it's going to be Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix. Like yeah. everybody is going to want these two guys. So you have to wonder uh, what is what is their long term as well? Where do these guys end up four or five months from now? Yeah, I, uh, I don't honestly, John, I don't I don't see them uh, in impact land for long because they are they are too good. And, and this is going to sound like an insult to impact. Uh, but to me, they're too good to be here. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, the more, the more I'm listening to myself say it, it's actually kind of an insult, but I think they're too good. And honestly, I can say the same thing about LAX. Like, if I am, uh, Cody of the Bucks, I'm looking at, like, if I'm looking for talent, I think LAX would be a great addition. Like, I don't know their contract status would impact, but those, those dudes are good, man, and they're young. Yeah. They, they cut this awesome promo on impact this past week. I thought it was just a great promo. Like, these guys have been, you know, a, a 
big, big positive for impact in, in 2018. I mean, they, they took this team that was relatively unknown and they have become one of the top tag teams in the world, in my opinion. Look, remember John, like a year and a half ago when they were feuding with, uh, who was it? Like they brought back, uh, who was the guy that was originally supposed to be Amazing Red's older brother, Crimson? Right. When they brought back Crimson and the other guy is like the army dudes. Yes. Th- and they were mired and fused with the army dudes. They were mired and fused with other tag teams that were less memorable than the army dudes because I can't remember them right now. But once you put them in there with, uh, I, I think it was OBE. That was when they first kind of got that spark. And then, you know, they, they, to me, they just been, hitting on all cylinders after that. So, yeah, I, I was very uh, pleased with this match, very pleased with both teams. And, uh, you know, we had, the, like, the feel-good moment at the end. I, w- I was holding my breath because I didn't want any any swerve or anything like that. We got the actual genuine feel-good moment with Conan. Yeah, Conan came out. It was his 55th birthday on Sunday night, and he just said that he was wrong. He didn't think that they could separate the personal from the professional, but put over the match, put over impact, it was just a really great presentation. This was a match I would highly recommend you go out of your way to see. I thought it was the highlight of the show, and everyone came off very well. Um, it was amazing. They only had 11 minutes when you consider, you know, uh, I don't know if they had to, to rush through things. And I'm not even complaining. It was it was a really good match in the in the time it went. I don't know if you even needed to uh, extend this. It was like a I didn't even, I didn't even realize it was only 11 minutes, John, because it felt longer than that, just with all the stuff that they packed into it. Yeah, I, I don't really have any complaints about this at all. I thought it was really strong. Match of the night for me, and probably Nate as well. Yeah, definitely. Tessa Blanchard, Taya Valkyrie, with Gail Kim as the special referee for the Knockouts title, and Early on, Valkyrie is selling, comes back with the double knees in the corner and is mounting her offense, misses a moonsault off the top, and then Blanchard got uh, got up, speared Valkyrie, getting a two count. And this is when we started to have the dissension between Tessa Blanchard and Gail Kim. Blanchard misses Valkyrie with a forearm strike and knocks Kim down. She follows with the buzzsaw DDT, but Kim can't count because she's still selling the forearm strike. And... Blanchard then brought the belt into the ring. Gail Kim gets up, pulls the belt, and they're having a tug of war. Kim grabs the belt and gets control of it, but in doing so, it nails Taya in the face to do a near-fall spot, and Gail almost costing Taya the match. Blanchard then shoves Kim once, shoves her a second time, and Kim fights back, uh, shoving Tessa into another near-fall spot where Taya got the roll-up. And Blanchard then landed a code breaker off the second turnbuckle, another two count, and Blanchard and Kim start arguing. Uh, Blanchard grabs Kim by the throat, and Kim fights her off, hits her with eat defeat, and Valkyrie follows with Road to Valhalla and pins Tessa Blanchard at 10 minutes and 41 seconds to win the knockouts title. Um, I didn't think this was at the level of their Bound for Glory match because I thought that the focus of this was not... Tessa Blanchard's long title reign being mm. ended and the focus on Taya, it was building to a Tessa Blanchard Gail Kim match is what I took out from this. And I just thought, I, I still think they had a very good match though. I don't want to uh, be negative on it, but it's just, they, they had a different objective here where it was lots of interference and involvement from Gail Kim, as opposed to just a straight up singles match. Right. And a couple of things for me with this match, I think number one, this is the one I was talking about maybe switching with the tag match from earlier because they were in a spot that they were not like the crowd, I think, had to come down off of that last tag match with the uh, Lucha Brothers and LAX. 
And so they like they had a tough act to follow. Uh, the other thing is, it was good. It was solid. Uh, I think these two girl two girls have great chemistry with each other. But you're right, storytelling wasn't there. Uh, you know, it should have been about this is Taya's last chance. She's already lost to Tessa twice. If she loses now, she's got to go to the back of the line. I think Callis brought that at once, but I thought they could have hammered that home even more. And with Gail's involvement, I think the eat defeat was a step too far for me. Like, I think if, if you know, she would have slapped Taya back and that, uh, excuse me, slapped Tessa back and that led to her losing versus the eat defeat, I, I could have gone along with that. But it felt like like you went a step too far, no pun intended, with the uh, eat defeat. But that being said, man, it, it was fun. It was it was good, and like I think that you can you can do some interesting things now with with Taya as your champion. Even though I am a big fan of uh, Tessa Blanchard, could you do the the dusty finish that Gail Kim's actions forced this to be thrown out, and Tessa gets her title back? Hmm. I mean, we did see Dusty in the uh, opening video package. That is right. Uh, so maybe this would be an homage, uh, a pay homage, as Dusty would say, uh, to to the dream. Uh, that'll be interesting. That'd be interesting because I depends think, where you're going. If the yeah. idea is to get to Tessa and Gail Kim, you really don't need the title in there. So no, no, um, might not serve the the purpose of the story. But that that seemed to be the takeaway from this is building to a match between those two. I mean, that was pretty heavy handed. And we also saw like, by the time we get to the end of the match, we've also got Taya involved in a situation that she might not need to be the champion to be involved in that. Cause we don't want that distracting from the, the women's division. Yes. Hey, if, if they do a rematch and Tessa wins the title back, will we now have to call it a, a title twitch? <laughs> I'll give you that one, John. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Nate's about to hang up on me. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to pursue another uh, another podcast tonight. Oh, boy. Uh, this is when Josh made the announcement about simulcasting Impact on Twitch on Friday nights beginning this Friday. They're going to be taping TV Monday in Nashville. So Do that you guys be... get a pursuit up there? Um, No. We don't. It's going to be airing on Fight Network here on Friday okay. nights in the same time slot, 10 till midnight. And then there's another uh, channel called Game TV that's going to replay it Saturday nights from 7 till 9 p.m. Eastern time. So that's how Canadians can watch it. The replay sounds like a better time slot, honestly, than the original airing. Uh, it is. Yes, I would say <laughs> Saturday night is a bit better than, than Friday night at 10. Um, I'm assuming that there's not going to be any geo restrictions that you'll be able to simulcast it on Twitch here as well in Canada. That would be my assumption. Then we had Mackenzie Mitchell with Johnny Impact. Tonight, the match is not about friendship. It's about who's the best, and it's not about who's got the most abs or can bench press the most while putting over Brian Cage, calling him calling him a super freak. A classic uh, musical reference here from Johnny Impact to set up our title match. Yeah, I'm sure he was listening to a lot of Rick James on the way to the arena tonight. That's right. Uh, so the main event, we had George Iceman, who is uh, with Destiny Wrestling up here in Canada. He was the ring announcer. That okay, had. I was wondering who that was. Yeah, they've done a bunch of uh, like one-night-only shows with Destiny and, and worked with them uh, a multitude of times over the past. Uh, so this is when I had to uh, duck out uh, to <laughs> record with WH. So I had this on in the background. I'm going to fully admit I really did not see this main event. So, Nate, uh, take us through the main event and your thoughts on how this came across. 
So basically, and, and I mentioned this to John before we started recording tonight, you know, he was talking about how he didn't have his full attention on this match. And honestly, I got to say, if you're going to focus on one match on this card, this is not the match you needed to focus on. You know, it was a good match. We saw, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth early on with the story kind of being Johnny uh, was using his speed and using his his wild, I, wiles, I guess, to combat the physical attributes of Brian Cage. Uh, the crowd was certainly more behind uh, Cage, though, than Johnny. Like, they were doing the Terminator clap uh, throughout the match. Uh, they, they were into it, uh, just not at the level. I think the peak of crowd involvement was that LAX, Lucha Brothers match, and everything else just kind of tapered off after that. But they were still here for this match. Uh, we got to... A couple of near falls for Johnny, and then Cage started taking over, and then John Pollock. We get into this bit where Cage is uh, out at ringside, and the Survivor guys, who I've already forgotten their names that you just read 20 minutes ago. Yes, we had uh, Nick, Nick, and uh, let's <laughs> let's just assume nobody is uh, Nick Wilson and Davey Rickenbacker. Nick Wilson and Davey Rickenbacker get into it with Brian Cage. And so the referee comes in uh, and and breaks it up, and Cage goes in, hits the drill claw on impact, but because the ref is occupied with these survivor guys, he misses the count. Uh, and then basically, you know, you get to the, the finish of the match where uh, both guys are – like I think Cage was going for a drill claw off the top, and Impact was going for a superplex of some kind. Uh, Impact got the advantage and ended up just kind of rolling Cage up off of that uh, move off the ropes and won the match. And then we get to our post match. But yeah, it was it was a good match, John. But again, and this isn't the this isn't the first time this has happened because I think after all of these pay per views, I've had the same reaction where the main event was good, but it wasn't. It wasn't great, and it certainly wasn't the best thing on the show. And, and I think this match kind of fell in line with that. Well, that was uh, the main event. And, yeah, it just like, seemed coming out of this that you're going in the direction of Johnny Impact and Killer Cross. Yeah. Well, and I, real quick, I, I did like the homage, if you will, if, if to, to give a little bit of credit to the company because one of the most famous, quote-unquote, stars uh, to grace the uh, asylum in those early days was your man Johnny Fairplay. Uh, of Survivor fame. What a, what a, they've gotten a ton out of that franchise, haven't they? The, um, the Survivor, the, the Jersey Shore, like they've had so many minor celebrities grace this company. Bart Scott was there, uh, D'Angelo Hall. Who Brian had Urlacher that, was there. Yes. Toby <laughs> Keith. Yeah. Chris Rock, we saw in that opening video. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge. <laughs> what a, if they ever have a celebrity wing of their Hall of Fame, oh man, no shortage of calls you can make. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the Killer Cross, Killer Cross stuff at the end. It's funny, John, because I I was fooled by Don Callis' enthusiasm, because uh, I was kind of uh, I was writing down some notes and I had taken my eyes off of the screen, and I just heard Don Callis say, "What's he doing here? Why is he back?" And I thought Austin Aries had come back, so I looked up with excitement in my heart and, and anticipation in my eyes. And I see killer cross and I'm like, no, oh, it's that guy. And I, like, I was immediately deflated because, you know, killer cross is cool, but 
I'm, I don't know anybody, John Pollock, that was clamoring for a killer cross Johnny Nitro feud. It wasn't the direction I imagined, um, <laughs> but that seems to be the one that we are going with. And th- they certainly have some time. If we're assuming the same pay-per-view calendar that they're going to be run- – like this was a, an, an additional uh, pay-per-view from past years where it looks like probably April uh, from there, anniversary in the summer, Bound for Glory – um, if that's what we expect, I mean, that's a long time until April. I cannot imagine uh, Johnny Impact and Killer Cross not just being a, a television program and being held off for three months. That would seem a very lengthy program to build. I'd hope so because I think, you know, and again, nothing against Killer Cross, but if we're talking about building up to their next big show, I think a guy like uh, Eli Drake or a guy like Sammy Callahan or hell, if you, if you're still doing like the, the face face thing, uh, Willie Mack, like actually I would love a heel turn for Johnny. Cause I think this character is a bit stale, uh, like a heel Johnny impact versus babyface Willie Mack. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one thing with impacts roster is that you do have many different options you can play with. and Eddie Edwards. I, I forgot about Eddie. Like, coming off of this match, Eddie should be somebody that, that is elevated up the card a bit. I hope tonight was a course correction on Eddie Edwards because I've really not enjoyed what they've done with him the last couple of months where he's just gone into that. You know, when Dean Ambrose was the crazy baby face mm. and it just got so silly, I, I thought he was even more sillier than Dean Ambrose. And he just lost whatever edge he had during that Sammy Callahan feud where I thought that was, a, that was an interesting direction. They took the character and he was... It worked. It worked for him, in my opinion. And this, they've just veered off track. So tonight, I hope it was kind of getting him back into a, a more of a serious role. Like, you can be the violent guy that's got a crazy side, but not being the, this this wacky guy that's, you know, running out in a gown from escaping uh, an insane asylum. He was mm. in another asylum tonight. <laughs> uh, so that was the show. I thought overall this was this was a pretty good pay per view overall. I know I I do have to go back and rewatch or watch the main event pretty much for the first time, but I thought that tag match was excellent, and there really was not a bad match on the card. No. Um, you know you can you can nitpick certain parts. Um, maybe the hardcore stuff was a little too much at times, but overall I thought this was a pretty enjoyable three hour show. Yeah, to me the abyss Eli Drake match or maybe the uh, Sue Young, uh, tag match. Those were kind of the low points for me, but even then, like, th- th- they weren't terrible. They weren't bad. They just weren't as good as the rest of the show. Uh, the finish of the main event, the stuff with the survivor guys and then Killer Cross coming out the end left me a little bit flat, but not enough to derail the show. Like, I think you had at least three really strong matches. Uh, with Moose and Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan, Willie Mack, and then that tag match, which, you know, I I, I know it's Don West. Uh, Don West. I could have used Don West tonight, John Pollock. They've had success with Don's. <laughs> that would have been fun. But uh, Don Callis doing his best Don West impersonation was like, uh, you know, don't forget this match when you're talking about your best of the years in December. Yeah, it's hyperbole. Yeah, it's, you know, what he's supposed to do to put the talent over. But I think he's right. Like, I think, you know, 11 months from now, when we're looking back, I'll remember this that, that tag match very fondly. You know, what they could have done is when they had the announcement about Twitch, they should have thrown to Don West to make that announcement. That would have been great. Like, Don West. We just get 60 been... seconds of Don West telling you, <laughs> if you get impact one way, guess what? 
you're going to get it twice. <laughs> oh, that could be the hook for Twitch. We get alternative commentary. Like if you, if you wow. turn on the Pursuit channel, we get Josh and Don. And if you watch Twitch, we get Mike Tanay and Don West calling from their homes. Oh, wow. There you go. They can just do it over Skype. It's novel. <laughs> well, uh, that is our report on Impact. Uh, because of the added news and uh, tacking that onto the show, uh, we did not get a feedback thread up. But maybe uh, Monday night, if people have thoughts on the pay-per-view, they can leave them here. But we're saving the best announcement for last. Nate Milton, you have teased us with an announcement that is going to rock the core mm. of the post-wrestling community. So the floor is yours, sir. Yes, John Pollock. Uh, like I had mentioned on Twitter earlier, uh, I was excited about this night, not only to talk Impact uh, with my friend John Pollock, but also to let the postmarks know about something uh, that I've got coming up very soon right here on the Post Wrestling Network. Uh, and, uh, you know, no, it's not uh, a, a revamped edition of Review an Impact or Pursue an Impact. I, I could not. I could not do that, uh, but uh, for those that, that that have followed me and followed uh, you know some of the shows I've done, you know the Keeper Two Thousand was a was a fun show that I did with Brian Mann here, and that is on indefinite hiatus. And so, you know, John and Wade, being the gracious hosts they are, you know, we we were talking, putting our heads together, and they're like, hey, if you ever have a good idea, you know, we 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 can do something. And so, I thought about it. What what would I really be excited to talk about? What would make me have a lot of fun on these microphones and i realized it wasn't going to be vince russo uh it probably wasn't going to be impact wrestling uh but there is one man and one man alone that brings me joy and i think brings most of the nation joy uh and that is Dwayne the rock johnson uh and so coming this month friday january 18th I am uh, proud to announce that I am debuting a brand new show on the Post Wrestling Network where I will review the films from start to finish in chronological order of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, a.k.a. the Beyonce for boys, as Ron Funches uh, let us know this week. Uh, and it's going to be titled The Rocky Maivia Picture Show. So The Rocky Maivia Picture Show will be debuting Friday January 18th, uh, right here on the Post Wrestling Network. I got some great guests lined up. I've got Brian Mann, uh, the aforementioned brother Mann will be my first guest, uh, to help me review The Rock's film debut as a leading man, the 2002 classic, The Scorpion King. So The Scorpion King, it'll be myself and brother Mann reviewing that for the first edition of the Rocky Maya Via Picture Show right here on Post Wrestling Network. Nate, uh, we are so happy to – you're always part of the family, but to have a, a regular dose of Nate Milton with easily the, uh, the best titled show that's out there. <laughs> the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. Could not have come up with a better name myself. That's, that's real comedy. I just go for the, the lowest common denominator <laughs> with a pun and would have butchered a name. But it's great that we're going to be having you uh, with a regular presence here at postwrestling.com. Again, that starts Friday, January the 18th. First show, who could be better to join Nate than Brian Mann? So very much looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we're going to wrap this show up. Uh, we will be back on Monday night with Rewind Raw as Wei Ting will be joining me. But, Nate, where can all of our listeners find you and just bask in the glow of the Rocky Maivia picture show and let <laughs> you know how happy they are 
that you are going to be debuting this show. Yes, yeah, I think it, movie reviews are hot right now, especially when when they're done on wrestling shows. We saw Davian Braden, uh, and of course uh, the MCU reviews with you and Wade. So I, I had to give me a piece of that too, John. Uh, but yeah, if you want to hear more from me and, and hear about the, not only the Rocky My View Picture Show, but also some of the other shows I'm doing, you can find me at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic and uh, hear me talk about sports and politics and uh, shows that I do like Black Lightning or the main event or the Kings of Sport, and I got one more announcement, John, for fans of the Kings of Sport out there. Uh, in addition to the excitement I'm, I'm, I'm feeling right now about the Rocky Maivia picture show dropping, Brother Marcus Vandenberg and I have a little something we, we're going to drop on the 12th of uh, January. Uh, we're we're going to be unleashing the Kings of Sport Patreon page to the world. Wonderful. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we, we are excited about it. Uh, it's going to be something, uh, something pretty cool where we can interact with the listeners and friends of the show and fans of the show. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some interesting bonus content. I've already got Chris from LA under contract to come on and do a political show. So, uh, okay. yeah, we were going to branch out from just talking about sports and, and politics. So, uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the Kings of Sport Patreon on the 12th, Rocky Maivia, pick the show on the 18th. And I'm always at in the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K, Nate Mosaic on Twitter. All right. Well, definitely follow his Twitter so you can get the direct – I guess you don't have the direct link for the Patreon yet. Not yet. Not yet. All will be revealed uh, probably midweek well, this week. I, I will race to be the first person to sign up, Nate. I will uh, – very happy for you guys to be launching that. Uh, Marcus and Nate do a fantastic job. Uh, two, two voices that are – Regular listens for me that I look forward to hearing more from. So that is it. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you to WH Park as well for dropping by. Of course, Nate Milton. Always love doing these shows with you. And that wait, is it John, for us. John, before we go, should I mean I know we had that little dust up with uh, WH earlier, but uh, should 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 uh, I, I just return this tux and go home, or would you like to go out and get something to eat? Here you are at the end of the night, Nate. So arm in arm, I think we can just head out into the night. After homecoming. Go pursue happiness. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) 